From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. With finals putting a pause on the action in 2018 counting down its final days, this week we'll take a macro view of the entire program with Athletic Director Scott Strickland. While he's a frequent guest on the show, there were certainly no shortage of topics for Scott to weigh in on, including the first-year success of Dan Mullen, his experience on the College Football Playoff Selection Committee, the status of a Florida-UCF football matchup, the latest news on the new baseball stadium, the impending completion of softball's renovations, and his recent pop culture picks. To get things started, we asked the always engaging AD for his impressions of Coach Mullen's first season on the job. Well, it's, you know, it's exciting to, to see the progress that's been made. and Dan and his staff and our players deserve a ton of credit for, you know, it's, transitions are, are not always easy. And this is a situation where they all made it look really easy. And so that's a credit to the players for accepting new leadership. And, you know, there was some accountability put in place that they answered the call on. And, and obviously uh, the leadership from our coaches, starting with Dan and, and the job they did. And, and, you know, it made a lot of fun. You know, there was Florida is a place where you want to win, but there there is a certain expectation in, uh, because when Florida's really won in the past, back to Coach Spurrier's days and obviously under Coach Meyer, they, they did it with a lot of uh, – some style points, if you will. So not only did we, you know, get to nine wins, um, have a winning record in the league, uh, the toughest league in the country in the SEC, and make it to a New Year's Six Bowl game, but, you know, you start seeing signs of that offense coming back to life and the job that uh, our staff did there. And, and uh, so it's a lot of, ex- it's fun to see that happen. And there's a lot of pieces being put in place that, you know, should bode well for, for next year and the year beyond and, and, and keep this thing moving forward. There's a lot of things like the offense starting to come back to life. Some of the points that are put on the board, those are things that fans can see. They're very tangible. You can you can tell from the outside. What are some of the things you've seen inside the program that Coach Mullen has done to really aid this turnaround? You know, I always go back to the to the word accountability, but I you know just setting uh, expectations in a really clear way that people can understand what's expected, whether it's uh, assistant coaches, whether it's strength staff or training room staff, uh, or whether it's the players, and then holding people accountable to those expectations. And Dan does a really good job of that. I think whenever um, you see him in his public comments, whether it's the weekly press conference or his press conference after a game, um, he's often referencing what those expectations are. We're going to play with relentless effort. You know, we're going to we're going to compete. Uh, you hear those things, and then he he does things in the program that reinforces that, you know, at practice, people who do well and compete are rewarded. And those who don't, you know, there are consequences academically, those who take care of what they need to in the classroom and, and do well academically, you know, there are ways that those, those people get positive reinforcement. So they know that this is what's expected. Um, and, you know, Dan always says being a champion is not a sometimes thing. It's, it's got to be part of every part of your life. And so to me, those are the things that happen, you know, kind of out of the public eye that really, show up on a Saturday. So when it's it's third and short and the defense has to make a play, um, they're used to being held accountable and they understand 
what it's going to take to be successful in that situation. You know, last year's coaching carousel was really crazy. There were so many high-profile openings and a lot of big names that were floating around there as well. And, and when you announced Dan Mullen, not everybody thought it was maybe the splashiest hire. Or say, oh, wait, we wanted this person, we wanted that person. But obviously, you were very confident in this call, and, and no one is questioning that after seeing the results. What did you know about Coach Mullen a year ago at this time that made you so confident he was the right fit? Well, obviously, you know, I'd worked with him before for several years and I saw the job he did at Mississippi State. And all successful coaches, for the most part, they always make the, the program that they take over better. You know, they, they improve the program. And Dan certainly did that at Mississippi State. He led them to an unprecedented level of consistent success. He, he, you know, a school that had, had never really produced many successful quarterbacks. He had a run of them. Um, kind of highlighted by Dak Prescott, but, you know, followed that up with a guy named Nick Fitzgerald, who, who just became the SEC's all-time leading rusher and threw for a bunch of touchdowns as well. So, you know, he, he did a great job there. And I, I knew, um, that he, you know, from a coaching and leadership and organization standpoint, that he would be successful here. And, you know, then we had the added benefit of him having already been a part of successful teams here at Florida. And it just, you know, in some ways it would be hard to find a uh, hire that is more prepared for a position than Dan was. You know, he had been a coordinator on two national championship uh, teams here at the University of Florida, and he had been a head coach in the SEC for nine years. That's, that's a pretty rare combination for a guy at his age to step into a place like Florida. And in a short period of time, we've already seen the, the benefits of taking advantage of, of that experience that he's had. I know that at the end of the day, it's not about you. So I'm already prepared for you to deflect this, but I'm going to ask you anyway. How much satisfaction do you get? Because there's a lot of tough decisions you have to make sitting in the chair that you're in. When you make a big call like this, arguably the most important decision a college AD can make, how much satisfaction do you take when, looking in hindsight, it's unanimously agreed upon that you made the right call? Well, you know, beats the alternative. I will say that. <laughs> but, um, you know, you'd, you'd rather uh, your decisions look good than, than not. Um, hey, this is also in athletics you understand that everything is day to day, right? And, mm -hmm. and you're injured a couple injuries away or, or some bad luck away from having a year that's not what you want it to be. And, and so you don't assume that everything is, is going to, you know, be a certain way going forward. You got to continue to work really hard and, and you got to have staff that holds each other, other accountable. And we have to make sure we're putting everything in place to support our, our athletes and our coaches and, and create a great experience for our fans. So you don't really have a lot of time to sit there and, feel great about what's happened because there's so much work still to be done. So I'm really happy, obviously, uh, when I see the smiles on Gator fans and, you know, I, I know they're excited about this past football season and, you know, we're going to start next August at zero and zero mm -hmm. and we're all going to work really hard to try to improve upon what we did this year. And, and that becomes your focus really quickly. There were so many interesting storylines throughout the year. One of them that everyone talked about from the second the schedule was released was the visit to Starkville back in September, obviously for you and for Coach Mullen as well. Now that you've had a little bit of distance from that, can you just tell us what that experience was like for you and your family? Was it surreal? Was it what you thought it would be? Kind of your, your process on that. You know, it was it was really a, a rewarding game to see the Gators win the game because uh, it was a you know Mississippi State had a really good team this year. And so to go into a hostile environment that's a great atmosphere and, and beat a really good team, um, that's that's pretty special. You know, I, I do not enjoy uh, – I want Mississippi State to be successful. I got my degree from there. My family uh, has a lot of connections there. I, 
I don't like rooting against Mississippi State, um, mm-hmm. and I certainly did it that night because I wanted the Gators to win. But um, I'm glad that game's behind us, and, uh, <laughs> and, the, and Florida got out with a win. And uh, I enjoyed the next week when I got to turn on TV and, and root for Mississippi State to beat Auburn or whoever else they were playing. Um, and that, that felt like things were, were more back in order. But um, it was, you know, it, it was difficult from that standpoint because, you you know, I cared a lot about those people. I still do care a lot about those people. And a lot of those players on that other team, I was part of the recruiting uh, process and, and got to know them as their athletic director. And, you know, like I said, I still want them to do really well. And so, that's one of those um, things in athletics. Sometimes you, you have uh, worlds colliding and, and, and my worlds were colliding that night, but uh, we, the current SEC scheduling model, um, which I hope changes one day because I, I do think we go too far without seeing some teams on the other division. But the one in this case, we don't play the Bulldogs again unless we see them in Atlanta, in the SEC championship game uh, until 25, I think it is. Wow. And, and uh, so that's, that's just fine with me. This was your first year on the college football playoff selection committee, which has obviously gotten a lot of attention here in the last few weeks. And I know just from following you on Twitter, uh, it's a big time commitment as well. You got a lot of a lot of tweets from going to and from the Gainesville airport over the weekend. Can you talk about your experience being on that committee in year one and, and just what that commitment was like as well as far as your time? Uh, yeah, you know, it, it ate up a couple days a week starting at the, uh, uh, you know, well, I'll back up. Every weekend I was... Uh, I was watching, I always watch a lot of football, but I was spending a lot of Sundays and then uh, nights during the week catching up, watching games I didn't get a chance to see live on Saturday. Mm-hmm. They provide for us kind of the condensed games. We, in a 35 minute period, we can watch a whole, a whole game. And so uh, I, I would spend a lot of time on Sundays leading up to uh, when we started meeting. Um, so in September and October, watching a lot of games, uh, Monday night, Tuesday night during the week. And then Starting uh, the last Monday in in October for the last five weeks of the regular season, uh, heading to Dallas either on Sunday night or Monday morning and then meeting Monday and Tuesday, coming back Tuesday night. So, you know, it ate up a couple days of time. And, you know, so there was a commitment there. But uh, I really enjoyed the experience. You know, there's a lot of attention to detail in in, uh, that process. Uh, There's a lot of particular attention paid to uh, making sure the process has the highest integrity possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and I sat next to Gene Smith, who's the Ohio State Athletic Director, and was in the room with Joe Castiglione from Oklahoma. And obviously those are two teams that were in the conversation about the playoff spots up to the very end. And and we spent a lot, you know, when we're not in the meeting room, we're, we're having meals together, we're spending time together there in Dallas. And, and never once over the, the five or six weeks we were together did they ever – try to lobby or politic or position their team in any kind of conversation. And then, and, you know, we, we were talking about college football. We were talking about other teams, but we, they never brought up their team. And then obviously when we got ready to talk about their teams, they had to leave the room. And so I just, I, I just used that as an illustration to talk about them. You know, people really go out of their way uh, to eliminate the appearance of anything but people doing what they feel is right and trying to be as fair as possible to the, to the teams that were in the conversation. And so that, uh, that, that to me, I think that's really um, pretty special. You got, um, you know, people who care about college football that much are willing to, to really spend as much time as we did to make the best possible decision on, on not just the top four, but, but all the rankings we spent, we would spend as much time with teams, 21, 22, 23, 24, as we would one through four. Really? It was really important. If we're going to, if we're going to do a top 25, let's get it right. And let's be fair to all these teams. 
um, because it, you know, people, I know the national media pays attention to who's in the playoff. Um, but if you're, if you're sitting there at eight and four, um, it matters if you're ranked 17th or 18th, you know, it matters to those fans. It matters to the game of college football. And so we would spend a lot of time and there's a subjective nature to it because the, you know, there's a lot of data you get, but there's a lot of gaps in the data and, and teams have different schedule strengths. Uh, they have, it's hard sometimes to make apples to apples comparisons. So that's where watching the games and watching the teams and, and forming opinions based on what those teams look like, uh, really helps kind of, uh, fill in some of those gaps. I think you sort of answered what my next question was going to be, which was about the misconceptions about the committee. So I, I guess what I would ask you instead, now that you address those, is what is the process like? That That's the thing that I have a hard time getting my head around. I'm sure a lot of fans do. I mean, what what is this like to get these teams on this board? Does everybody go in with their own top 25? Are you, you know, just putting a team on the board and having discussion? What are, what are the actual nuts and bolts of what the committee does? You know, we... Uh, their, their process is is uh, you can go on to the CFP website and, and you can read the process. But basically, um, we take these teams in groups of three or four or five or six, and we discuss them in those small numbers and we rank them in those small numbers. Um, and we do that starting with number one all the way down uh, through the top 25. And we may finish the top 25. We may come back and you know, I'm not sure we have five, six, and seven, right? Let's go look at those teams again, and let's compare those again. Let's talk about those teams again, and maybe we we revote those teams and, and see if uh, after the conversation people feel differently about them. Uh, so there's a lot of scrubbing once you come up with the top 25. There's a lot of reassessing to make sure that it's as fair as possible. But it's it's done on a – it's not a, you know, hey, everybody come in and drop down their top 25 and let's count it up and we're done. There's a lot of mm-hmm. – uh, a lot of detail and a lot of attention paid to minutia of, of teams and who they played, who they beaten, um, the statistical background for each team, the profiles for each team. Um, you know, we got several former coaches in that room and they mm-hmm. provide a lot of insight from a coaching standpoint of what they see. It's uh, it's a very thorough process. I'm thinking about the way that my friends and I talk about football and debate things. How spirited does it get? Is is there a lot of decorum or sometimes when you're in the debate, maybe about who's going to get that fourth spot a couple weeks ago and there's a lot of intensity and, and a lot of strong opinions, does it get spirited a little bit or does it stay pretty even keel? Well, there's a lot of, res- I mean, there's, there's a common respect for everybody in the room, but there's, there's some conversations that are more intense than others is probably <laughs> a good way to put it. And um, people, you know, <clears throat> These are people who care a lot about college football and they want to get it right. And the the beauty of, of that committee is, um, you know, it was funny after uh, we were watching some of the the uh, the talking heads on ESPN talking about some of the decisions that were made and they were debating some points on different teams and they were having the same debates and same conversations we had had in that room. And so hmm. there's people in there who really pay a lot of attention. They've watched a lot of football. They know the game really well. And they care about it and, and want to get it right just as badly as, as the public wants us to. In your position, you get asked a lot about the playoff and when does it expand? Where does it go? I'm curious from you and the, the people that you talk to in this in this business, do you feel like four is working right now? And do you sense that there's maybe some momentum toward expanding it or is that not on the radar? So that decision is um, on the structure is decided by the uh, CFP. Uh, management council, which is basically made up of the uh, conference commissioners along with the uh, athletic director from Notre Dame. So the selection committee has no say in 
what the format is, how many teams, you know, size the playoff. We are just tasked with ranking top 25 and selecting the teams for the current structure. So really we don't get into a lot of the, the other conversations. That's, uh, that's, that's for a different group to, to discuss. Uh, I do know we have contracts in place that are for, you know, the next several years with the current format. So I'm not really sure when they're, could be an opportunity to even if somebody wanted to to even look at that but that's not uh, the committee's charge and uh, not something that uh, we spent a lot of time even looking at as far as the gators go there was a lot of speculation about a florida ucf matchup in the new year's six and it's certainly gotten a lot of press uh, in the time since then what can you tell us about the way that that played out for the selection committee and what the future looks like potentially for one of those or multiple of, of those matchups um when much like I mentioned, when the you know the ads of schools who were in the playoff had to leave the room and weren't part of that conversation, when they got to the point of um, of slotting the bowl matchups and Florida was in the mix along with UCF and Michigan and LSU, I think those are the four teams that ended up in the Fiesta and Peach, and those were the two matchups that the committee had a little bit of flexibility in how they lined it up. I was I had to leave the room, and so I was out of the room for the time when when that conversation was ongoing. I walked back in and, and the matchup was set. So I can't really speak to what those conversations were, but um, much like the Ohio State and Oklahoma ADs never say anything to me about where their team should be ranked. I never say anything to anybody in that room about a matchup or, or bowl site for, for the Gators. So I was, uh, you know, the good news is when you're new, when you're in a new year's six bowl, uh, the who you play doesn't really matter and where you play doesn't really matter because it's it's an honor to be in one of those four balls and, and that's the way we're looking at it if it ended up with us with a different matchup uh we've been fired up about that as well so that uh, again that goes back to making sure there's integrity they don't want people to have uh, just because i'm in a on a committee that ranks the top 25 i shouldn't have a say in in what those bowl matchups are related to the gators um and then as far as you know future matchups we you know we have a really unique uh, scheduling format here at Florida, as you know, as mm-hmm. our fans know, we have the eight SEC games, and one of those every year is on a neutral site. The one against Georgia's in Jacksonville every year that's in a neutral site. Most schools don't have a scenario like that where they're giving up a conference home game every other year. And then we have the uh, the home and home with FSU, you know, a team from an Autonomy Five conference, Power Conference that's in state that's not in our league uh, that's that's kind of plugged in so we have kind of nine games every year that are kind of uh, decided for us that gives us three games that we get to schedule and there are 116 other schools not in the sec that uh, are in the fbs that we have an option to schedule in those three games and so you you look for for fits and matches and and matchups are interesting um we're fortunate because of those nine games that are kind of built in for us the eight sec games plus the fsu game uh, the strength of schedule for Florida is always going to be really strong. And so we're not uh, we don't have to go out and schedule necessarily to try to improve our strength of schedule because it's uh, it's pretty strong as it is. Um, and, and, you know, you look at this year, I think of the of the teams that finished in the CFP top 25, our schedule was the eighth toughest among those top 25. Mm. Um, so that just gives you an idea of, of we kind of have a built in uh, schedule strength right there. So. We're looking for games we can get in the swamp. We want to make sure we have enough home games. Uh, Given mind that every other year we're losing, we're you know we don't have that Georgia game at home like other SEC teams have. Four, you know, every other year we only have three SEC home games, mm-hmm. and so uh, we want to make sure we have an appropriate number of home games for our season ticket holders and and for the city of Gainesville and our campus. And and so you want to try to acquire home games as much as can. And then if you're going to leave campus for a non-conference game. 
you, you've got to be really judicious about that. We went and played Michigan and Dallas last year, and, and financially that was a, a big benefit for us. We're actually going down to play in Orlando against Miami to open up next season. Again, that's going to be financially beneficial for us. But beyond that, it's, uh, you know, because we are going to Jacksonville every year and we're going to, to Tallahassee every other year, you know, you've got to be real judicious and, and smart about when you're not going to play in Gainesville. We've got a two-for-one that USF approached us about that, that we agreed to where we get to host the Bulls twice in Gainesville. In exchange, we go down to play them in Tampa one time. And, and that, that game made sense for us because that's a, you know, it's a good opponent to get on our campus two times and, and going down playing at USF at uh, Raymond James Stadium um, seemed like a, a benefit to us as well. So, you know, we're open to similar situations. And, and I know I was uh, said publicly, I was asked specifically about UCF and I said, hey, we would be happy to, to do to talk about a similar situation that we have with USF. Um, you know, my, my sense is that's not something there that UCF is interested in. And I respect that. You know, I think every school has got to do what they think is best for for their own situation. And uh, there's not necessarily a right or wrong. Um, it's, you know, it's you put the schedule together that the marketplace allows you to, to put together mm. and um, for your players and your fans and your coaches. And it's it's not an easy uh, process. It is a challenging process. And uh, it's uh, it's one that uh, we spend a lot of time looking at and studying and trying to make sure we do what's best for the Gators. I'm scared to ask how uh, how noisy your Twitter mentions have been since all this started in the last couple of weeks. Uh, <laughs> I uh, are you still reading them or have you had to pause from it? I you know I kind of uh, you know it's it's funny. There's times when people uh, when certain groups kind of uh, decide they're gonna they're gonna uh, spend their time on Twitter and, and <laughs> want to tag me in it. So I get a part of a lot of conversations that I uh, just assume not be a part of. So it doesn't take long to scroll. It doesn't take long to scroll through those. That's good to know. That's good to know. Uh, because you have a lot of important things to do with your time, including continuing to work on this master plan for facilities that we've talked about uh, over the course of the last couple of years now. This week, uh, you announced an updated timeline for construction of the new baseball stadium. Can you take us through where you are in that process right now? Yeah, we're very excited. We, we got approval to break ground in February on our new ballpark for the baseball team. And, and uh, obviously, that's going to be an exciting step for that program. I always like to point out we have a national championship caliber program. We have a national championship caliber fan base. We're now going to have a national championship caliber ballpark to go along with that. And uh, we're going to build that on the southwest part of campus adjacent to where Disney Stadium, where our lacrosse and soccer teams play, and across from uh, KDC Show Presley Softball Stadium. Uh, so we're kind of developing a little athletic district out there. And so uh, we're real excited about getting that project going. It should be completed in the summer of 2020. And which originally we had hoped to, for 2019 to be our final season in McKeithen Stadium. It looks like we're going to have two more seasons, 19 and 20 in McKeithen Stadium. Uh, but uh, then as soon as the 20 season's over, baseball will move out to the new ballpark. And uh, and then we can begin leveling McKeithen Stadium and beginning the construction process for our, our new football training complex, which will go right there where McKeithen currently is, adjacent to our football practice fields and the indoor facilities. So we consider this you know, a phased approach to our master plan and, and baseball and softball, the curb softball renovation is ongoing and baseball is phase two. The football complex is phase three. Phase one was the renovation of the O-Dome and the indoor football facility and the Hawkins Center. Um, if you add all that together, it's about $285 million worth wow. of facilities and um, which is really significant. And, and that 
Uh, I think we got a chance to complete all that within a five or six year period, which is uh, um, that's pretty aggressive. And, and we're going to continue to try and stay on that path. We've had a lot of great support from from our Gator boosters and, and people who uh, are friends of the program want to see these facilities and these projects become reality. And we still need some more help on that. So we're, we're continuing to have conversations with donors and and hopefully we continue the momentum we have there. Speaking of softball, I saw that season tickets for the uh, the new stadium sold out in 20 minutes this week. Uh, what can you tell us about that new stadium, what that experience is going to be like for both the team and the fans as well? Yeah, we're excited. We're going to open, we're going to uh, uh, do a ribbon cutting. I think it's February 12th uh, on that new facility. And uh, you talk about national championship caliber program. What Tim Walton has done there with their softball team is, is pretty remarkable. Um, but, uh, you know, we were able to, kind of clean up that concourse, elevate the uh, press box area. So there's an open concourse. It's going to provide a lot of shade that we didn't previously have. Um, all the seats are going to be chair backs. Um, we've added uh, a section of chair back seating uh, that were, were previously there was a berm. We still have some berm seating. Uh, we've opened up where people can walk all the way around the outfield fence and have a view of the game too. So we can get, uh, get the whole field surrounded. Um, and then there's new team areas in there that uh, new locker room, a new office space, uh, you know, all the things for our student athletes and our coaches are going to be right there. And, and there's an imposing tower in the left middle corner that makes up that complex. It's fun to drive by it every day and, and kind of see the progress that's being made and looking forward to, to seeing the Gator fans get in there this, this spring. You know, besides those facilities we talked about, I know that's a big part of what you're doing. What else is on your radar coming up in the spring? What are some of the, the big initiatives that are going to be coming across your desk? Well, you know, we're always looking at ways to impact uh, the experience for, for Gator Nation. So whether it's, uh, you know, game day experience or the way we interact with them on a day-to-day basis, um, you know, we'll, we'll continue to pour a lot of time and effort and energy into that. Um, you know, our spring game in April is going to be another uh, opportunity to kind of gather uh, our fans and, and have uh, have a fun weekend. Uh, I think that's April 12th, 13th weekend. Um, and the following weekend, we have something unusual. Garth Brooks is going to come and play that's a concert right. in the swamp. Yeah. And uh, that's, uh, they've had great response from that. They've sold a ton of tickets. And and uh, I know that's going to, it's going to be like, a, if you think about the economic impact to campus and, and the city of, of Gainesville and North Florida, uh, it's going to be like another home football game mm-hmm. uh, right in the middle of, of April. So, Another uh, that's going to be another great event. So um, and then, you know, just kind of hopefully watching a lot of Gator teams have a lot of success. Springtime is usually pretty good time for the orange and blue from a win loss standpoint. So uh, looking forward to watching those teams compete and then um, getting ready for the next year. Is the Garth Brooks thing, is, is that a one off or can we expect more big events in the off season in the swamp to try and, as you said, create more opportunities to to bring Gator Nation together? Right now, that we don't have anything beyond this one scheduled, but I think, uh, you know, hopefully this is really successful and something we can look at doing more of in the future. Final question for you. We always have to end with, with something buzzy, something going on in pop culture, because you are so connected, despite all the things you do have on your plate. Uh, I'm curious, what movies have you seen recently, and what are you most excited to see over the holidays? Because this is, this is like the, the busiest movie corridor of the entire year. I, I, I'm embarrassed to say... I am way behind. I guess I've been watching too much college football this fall. <laughs> the committee made it difficult. Well, your weekends were no taken. No question. Out. I'm way behind. You know what I have been doing? I, I uh, as as you may or may not know, uh, one of our uh, key Gator supporters is a is a uh, Florida alum named Michael Conley, who's a best selling author, 
And uh, Michael is a season ticket holder. He has courtside seats of basketball. And I had met Michael a couple of times, but I'd never one, read one of his books. And so this, I think I mentioned this on your podcast. I started reading his books and, and I've, I read one and I put it, I finish, I download the next one. I've just kind of wow. gotten hooked on his books. He's really uh, a great author. So I actually had a chance to, he was at the Michigan State basketball game in early December, had a chance to visit with him and, and uh, he's planning on being at the Peach Bowl. So it's, it's neat uh, to find people who, who have gone on to great success in art and have, uh, you know, are, are gators and have that connection. It's really fascinating that when you read his books, he will drop in a University of Florida or a gator reference hmm. Uh, every now and then, and you can you can see that he's he's kind of paying tribute to to the Gators. So I probably need to take a break, and I need to. That's right. you know, I think there's some new Netflix shows I need to get caught up on, but uh, I am, unfortunately am, am behind a little bit. I will say, from a movie standpoint, I understand Bohemian Rhapsody is really good. I was going to recommend uh, that for you. Have you seen it? Yeah, that and uh, A Star Is Born are both. Those are two of the highlights of uh, of the fall. You got to see those in theaters. My daughter has seen Bohemian Rhapsody, and she's she's encouraging me to see it. And hopefully, I'll have some downtime here around the holiday before we head the Peach Bowl for to get out to the theater and catch some movies. Okay, well, we're going to hold you to that because there's a lot of good stuff to see. But we we do look forward to seeing you up in Atlanta for the Peach Bowl. It's going to be a great way to end the year for the Gators. And certainly, uh, thank you so much for giving us a little outlook on what's to come. Thank you so much, Adam. Go Gators. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. We'll be back next week with a recap of National Signing Day and a look ahead to the Peach Bowl, so don't miss it. Until then, I'm Adam Schick, thanking you for joining us for another episode of Gator Tales. <laughs>